Welcome to the One God Report podcast. This time we're going to do something a little bit different. We're going to talk about obstacles and reactions to the One God faith. That is faith in the One God of the Scriptures, Yahweh, Jehovah, his name is in the Old Testament, and his human Messiah, Jesus. And we've found since we've come to this understanding that when we talk to people and try to explain what we believe, most people don't want to receive it. Matter of fact, most people would say that, oh, this is uh, heretical, or this is wrong, or they're even saying you're denying Jesus. And we, we've thought some about wh- why it is that people have these reactions. And we, we just thought it would be good to talk about some of these different reactions. And a couple of the categories maybe we discussed as to the reactions that people have to the one God faith and the human Messiah Jesus. There is some aspect of fear. And I mean by that the fear of rejection or socially being ostracized. Many people in the one God faith have come from maybe a Trinitarian background or a oneness idea. And once they come to this understanding that God is one and Jesus is the Messiah that died and raised from the dead, a human Messiah, they're ostracized and they're said to be heretical. And so fear of that, fear of that ostracizing causes some people to say, oh, I don't, I don't want to have to go through that. So we'll talk more about the fear aspect ways in which fear comes into, I think, some people's reactions. And another reaction that actually my wife would say is even stronger than fear is pride. So let's talk about some of these a little bit. I'm here with Preston and Steph. And should we talk about the fear aspect first? Yeah, I'll just kind of share my thoughts. There's a quote from, I think it was Mark Twain, and he said that it's easier to fool a man than to convince him that he's been fooled. I think that has to go into it. Like what happens if you've believed something for however many years or everybody around you believes it and it turns out to be wrong? That kind of opens the box to a lot of different things. You've put so much trust in something. This is kind of how I perceive the fear. This is actually what I went through when I realized this truth. If they're wrong about this thing, which is supposed to be the most, it's the staple of Christianity, that God is this three-in-one being and everything else that goes along with that doctrine. What else, is anything true in the Bible, right? And I think it can drive people in two directions. One is they just don't want to look at it. They don't want to think about it. They just like life as it is. Or the other one is, let me see what the Bible says. And then you kind of get that dividing line of people who how highly do you hold the word of God? Do you hold it greater than what your community says or what the people who you hold in authority say or the whole church or you know everything you've ever heard? Or do you go back to the scriptures, like what we read about in Acts 17, the Bereans, you know, who searched the scriptures to see if these things were so? And it's uncomfortable. And the fear is partly that, okay, I believe this whole thing and it's, it could be I've been deceived. The other thing also is that the seclusion. You don't want to be the only one alone on an island believing this thing because there's all these other wonderful parts of Christianity that you want to partake in. The fellowship, the, the good-hearted Christians that believe and welcome and want Jesus' coming back and everything. All that remains. But then you have this one issue that 
would devise. I think that's, to me, the fear is the seclusion. Yeah, I think another aspect of that fear element is there is a, a certain fear of authority. You touched on that. And this was, has been always in play. We can see it in play in the New Testament where people had to decide really between Jesus, following Jesus, or following the religious authorities who had been in place for years and years and years. Mm-hmm. And they used that against him. They at one point said, none of our leaders think that he's the Messiah. So um, by our authority, you know, who do you think you are that you're not following what the religious establishment says? So there is a certain fear of authority, and it goes along with being ostracized. Maybe one of the better examples of somebody who was ostracized from the religious community is the blind man in John chapter 9, who this guy receives his sight. And because of his then faith in Jesus as Messiah, he was kicked out of the synagogue, John chapter 9 says. But for him, that didn't matter. He knew he was blind, and now he sees. So these social pressures that went into effect to try to prevent him from acknowledging who Jesus is, they didn't matter to him. And I think we've all felt that, too. I know when I was first coming to this understanding, I was, I was looking in the scriptures. I did not hear it from anybody else. I kind of was slowly coming to it in different ways, and then when really the, the light bulb really started to click, so to say, I really felt, wow, am I the only one? And I knew I can't be, right? Now, in our time today, there's the internet. So after I had really looked at, at these different scriptures and I start to see, you know what? Jesus is a human being that died and whom God raised from the dead. Now, the internet, we can find a, a certain sense of fellowship, let's say, or others that are of like-minded faith. So that's a, that's a game changer because 20 years ago you couldn't. If I had come to this 20 years ago or 25 years ago when there's no way to find other people online, it would have been very, very difficult for me because I knew I was going to lose my job. I knew I was going to be removed from an elder teaching role in the congregation that I was involved in. I knew the community that I was living in was a small community that it would kick me out. So all of those things would have been against me in a sense, but it didn't matter. When I saw in the scriptures who Jesus was, I felt like the Christian in the Pilgrim's Progress, he knew he had to start on that road even if his wife wasn't going to come. He knew it because the scriptures are the authority. So that blind man, it didn't matter to him. And there's... I mean, there's a few other verses. I'll read a couple from the book of John where this whole idea of holding in in higher regard how other people are going to perceive you or maybe even social and economic benefits that you have. People don't want to look at this because they know they will socially and economically suffer. But Jesus says, how can you believe? This is John 5, 44. How can you believe who receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God. And another place, John 12, 42 and 43 says, Nevertheless, even many of the authorities believed in him, but for the fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, 
lest they should be put out of the synagogue. Now, like you said, people are in a church, they're happy with their church surroundings, the circumstances, they have nice programs and so forth. To lose that, it's really counting the cost. And I think that in, in our modern society where we have so much now, it's really almost the only, I won't say it's the only way, but it's one of the chief ways in which your faith can be tested. Are you willing to give up some of those things? Are you willing to give up the program of the church you're in? Are you willing for somebody to tell you you're a heretic? Mm-hmm. Right? Are you willing for you to lose a job? These are some of the ways in which your faith can be tested today. Thankfully, the power of the sword is not in the hand of the church today. Otherwise, a person like me and you could be dead. But there's still a cost, and this is very biblical. When somebody calls me a heretic, I don't think they quite understand that, don't you see, I'm reading the book of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus says, blessed are you when people curse you and say things about you falsely on my account, Jesus says. Don't you understand? That's the way I'm reading this. To me, I'm reading exactly what Jesus said would happen to us. So they loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. That's John 12, 43. So that fear factor, it's got, there's other elements to it of being afraid. A fear of change. People are, you're comfortable with your situation. And that way, you maybe don't even want to hear. We can talk about that uh, at some point, too. But mo- a lot of people don't even want to listen to another option because they're af- they know that it means a big change in circumstances. If I'm right, they know their life changes, right? Yeah, this kind of goes not so much in the fear, but the nature of the Trinity doctrine is one that is extremely difficult to teach. And it's difficult to comprehend. And it's almost like everybody kind of knows that. I mean, even when you ask people, like even biblical scholars, they just get to the point where it's like, well, who can really understand God? And there's a point to that. Obviously, the creator of everything, it's tough to understand his creation, let alone who he is. But the more important point is, how does he present himself to us? Right? So how does he, because he has explained himself to us to a certain degree, and that is really, it's kind of glossed over. In all the teachings, when I, was, when I was a Trinitarian, and they used to go through these doctrine series, and they used to talk about the Trinity, it's like, okay, finally. So I was really going to explain this to me, it's going to be very clear, because I was searching the scriptures, and you know, the typical verses, John 1, and some of the others, and it would always be kind of a glossed over. And they would describe this relationship without any concrete examples. From, yeah, yeah from nothing really from the scripture. Yeah. yeah, exactly. And of course, you know, when you really look into it, it's all the creeds. So I think that there's a lot of uncomfortableness with it. When you bring up this subject, mm-hmm. everybody kind of has that kernel of, yeah, you kind of got me on the ropes here because I don't really know how to explain it. But everybody who I've trusted who've taught me these other truths, they've said that this is also true. So I just kind of believed it. So I think there's a little bit of that, too. Apprehension and kind of the unknown and something that they're already insecure about. Okay, well, let's leave the the fear, social pressures, and fear of authority, fear of change, fear of losing economic circumstances. And let's talk about the idea of pride, that a lot of people 
will maybe hear this message. And I think they can see that there's some biblical justification for it. If we look at the scriptures, there's no place where God is described as a trinity. There's no place where Jesus is described as having two different natures. Jesus has a God. Jesus died. God raised Jesus from the dead. All these reasons, and people see that, but there is a sense in which they'll dig in their heels, and pride is involved in their rejection of this message. How is that? How does that work? Yeah, I think when you are told that you've been deceived, I think your first reaction is, I wouldn't know if I was deceived. You know, like no one's really going to deceive me. I would know if something doesn't make sense. Of course, I'd say that doesn't make sense. Uh, and then as you get further and further, if they do want to engage you in a conversation about this, which I think is somewhat rare, then it's the same thing as how highly do you respect the word? You know, are you willing to change your belief? Meekness is a Christian principle, and that's just the ability to change. Are you willing to go into the word and say, okay, I was... You know, I was presented this knowledge by somebody, and like most of us, it's somebody who we respect. But they, you know, I mean, they could be deceived. You talked about the Pharisees were deceived, and they were the religious rulers. You know, are you willing to go to the source and, and really see for yourself what does the source say? And I think that that is tough for people, just admitting that they have been deceived. And really, that means admitting that we were wrong. That's always a difficult thing to do in a marriage relationship, in whatever relationship. It's always difficult to admit that we were wrong. And it's somewhat ironic because I believe that the Christianity, the Christian background that I came from, people, they knew you have to admit that you're wrong. The whole idea of admitting that you are a sinner and repentance. This is another step in that, is to be able to admit that I was wrong. And I didn't have the right idea who God was. I, w- I really wasn't listening to the scriptures. I was skipping over places in the scriptures, for instance, that say that Jesus has a God and that Jesus died and God raised him from the dead and God gave Jesus authority. I was skipping over those or, some, or somehow in my mind splitting Jesus into two different people, a God Jesus and a human Jesus or something like this. So I have to be able to admit that I'm wrong. And, and doing that is hard. It is hard for the, the human nature. And pride does play a role in that. It does. Even Paul. I just read this morning in Galatians 1, Paul says, the people were surprised at him, right? Because they said, he who formerly persecuted us now preaches the faith which he once tried to destroy. So even Paul, I mean, some people said, how could you turn or change your mind? Well, even Paul did. He admitted he was wrong, and now he accepted Jesus as the Messiah. It's an uncomfortable process for a person to confess their sin, their wrongness, or as Preston was saying, the deception that we were in. It's not a comfortable process, especially if the situation that we're in now, and I think this is much of Western society, but a good portion of the world, it's economically comfortable. So it's hard to say, 
What do you mean I'm wrong? Look at the blessings I have right now. Look at the economic abundance that I have. How could I be wrong? God has blessed me. Well, economic abundance is not necessarily a sign of the right relationship with God. The biblical prophets say that many times. So we shouldn't use those things as a standard to measure what's right. The bottom line is, like we said before, is the scriptures are going to tell us who God is and who the Messiah is. So we, we don't really want to get disturbed or shaken out of our comfortable circumstances or even of our sinfulness. Like the book of John says, we don't come to Jesus because we prefer the darkness. So there, I believe there are some sins that Trinitarian Christianity allows that people don't want to give up. Another question that we might ask is, why are there so few one God believers? This is another re reaction that people might have when they first hear the idea that the Bible presents God as one person and Jesus as a human being. They'll say, God has been considered a trinity for thousands of years. How could the church have been so wrong? Why are there so few believers? Well, a couple things I would say to that is there is a biblical theme, a biblical truth, that real believers have always been a small number, a small remnant. Like Jesus said, blessed are you when people speak evil of you. And he called the believers a little flock. He said, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's desire to give you the kingdom. And the way is wide that leads to destruction. The way is narrow that leads to life. So this is a constant biblical theme that the larger number has usually, or I almost even fair to say, always been in the wrong. Another reason is because there has been persecution, and we don't naturally like persecution. When Trinitarian Christianity got the upper hand, it used the sword to put down any other beliefs. So numbers-wise, believers could simply be eliminated in, in two ways. Then It's not conducive to accept a faith where I might die for it. And then if you did have it and you died for it, the numbers are being reduced. Keep in mind that in the scripture, resurrection is a gift to the powerless. Right now, one God believers are powerless. But in the Bible, resurrection is a gift to the powerless. Our Lord died on a cross at the instigation of the religious and participation of the political establishment of the day. He had no house. He had not even a shirt. They took his cloak and his shirt. And resurrection was given to him. He was ready, and I think this is part of all this. Are we really ready to let go? Are we going to grasp this life, like Jesus said, he who he wants to hold this life, keep this life, is going to lose it. But if you're ready to give it up, you will receive life. And that's the message of the resurrection.
of a man, our Lord, who was crucified. He had nothing. I have to admit, when I first came to this understanding, I was ready to give up everything. It didn't matter to me about a job and possessions and so forth. Coming to the faith in Jesus, in the faith what we have now, I think it really involves that. You have all these social pressures against you. You have the, the masses against you and so forth. That's the test if you really are following God and his Messiah, Jesus or not. So we've got to be ready to lose. The scriptures say, blessed are the humble, blessed are the meek, because yours is the kingdom of God. And that's a big part of the reason I, I say that my main answer to why are the numbers so small. Yeah, and it's also not so much that you want to be right about something, but just believing what is right. Because we all, I mean, nobody comes in here with the full truth when they're born. I mean, even Jesus had to grow in the scriptures. It's just a matter of, you, you know, you serve something with what you believe to be true. Like, who's the master of your faith? Is it somebody who tells you something, or is it the Word of God? How much are you studying the Word? You know, is it something that, is it a daily devotional, or do you really get in there and say, okay, what, what is God telling me? He doesn't change the story. It's not like in the, you know, one thing that confused me about the Trinity was it's never described in the Old Testament. But all of a sudden in the New Testament, there's this brand new doctrine that's the most critical doctrine of Christianity. And if you don't believe it, you're bound for hell. If that was the case, wouldn't he at least mention it a little bit or describe it? So when you really start to peel back the layers and you, and you see what the Bible teaches, you have to make a choice of what am I going to believe? You know, And it is difficult and there is certainly a cost, but as you probably listen to this and maybe you still you believe in the Trinity and maybe you're thinking, I can't believe these people are being so bold. It's easy to be bold when you can see it so clearly in the Bible. You have this, your faith is energized because what you believe reflects on the pages of the Bible. You don't have to skip over any verses. You don't have to glaze over your eyes. You read these things and, and you know, Jesus has a God and he claims, you know, I'm going to your father and my father, your God and my God. It's like, that's pretty clear. God in Isaiah, he says, there is no one other than me. I am the only one. I am the almighty God. And to have Jesus as God say those words, it conflicts. It seems to conflict. And I remember there's a conflict in my mind, which is why I was so eager to have somebody explain this to me. And when they did, they allowed me to continue to believe what I believed. And then when I did, when somebody did challenge me, I was then given a choice. Am I going to search the scriptures or am I going to just continue to believe what I believed? But once you search it, once you see it, it makes your faith stronger and more real. It makes it more real. You have a greater confidence in the scripture once yeah. you see it. You know, a couple other things about what you said, Preston, is if the God that somebody reveals is not the God of the Old Testament, it's a false God. And I think every Trinitarian knows that the Trinity God is not presented in the Old Testament. Maybe you can go back and find some clue or something in what you think is the plural of the name and, you know, the deity of Jesus in a passage or something like this. But everybody knows that this Trinitarian God is not known to Moses 
And the scriptures say, if somebody comes along and tries to tell you that God is not the one that Moses knew, they're wrong. It is a test from Yahweh to see if you really want to know who Yahweh is. It is a test. Another thing that you were talking about, we don't care about winning an argument. I do not care about winning an argument. I want to know what the truth is. And if somebody can come to me and show me in the scripture that this is true, I'm not concerned in a prideful way of winning the argument. I simply want to look and say, look, here's what the scripture says. So I find that some people, when they hear this message, one of the reactions is, is they'll dig their heels in and even be more adamant. It's almost like they feel they have to win the argument. I think the people that have most to lose, pastors, anybody in ministry, especially that's dependent economically on the preaching of a Trinitarian God, especially those kinds of people, the more they have to lose, the more they're going to dig their heels in, the more they're going to come up with some of their explanation for Jesus having a God, or that Jesus died and you know God can die or can't die. They'll, they'll come up with all these other explanations, the more they have to lose. But I don't really care about winning the argument. I'd like to know what the truth is. One of my One God mother friends recently quoted this from someone else, but said, Biblical Christianity is unpopular, and popular Christianity is unbiblical. And it's just so true. I've just thought about that the last few weeks. And it's really what the scriptures say. Second uh, Timothy 4, 3 and 4, it says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And that is just so true. Accumulate teachers. I mean, there are many teachers, churches, pastors, many that that don't follow the truth. And it has led people astray, and they've wandered off into myths. And it, it is really a sad time that has come, that, that he said, the time is coming, and it has come, and it's... It's sad, but that is so true. Biblical Christianity is unpopular, but popular Christianity is unbiblical. I think in a lot of ways, Paul's fear came true. In 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, Paul says, But I am afraid that as a serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, if you receive a different spirit from the one you, you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. And that's really what's happened. People have accepted another Jesus. God the Son, nowhere in the Bible. The Trinity, not in the Bible. These things have been accepted a dual nature, a two nature, fully man, fully God. These things are not in the Bible, and they've just been accepted and put up with. And his fear actually is, has come true.
You know, one other thing I think we should talk about is I know there are many Christians that love the Bible and want to live according to the scriptures. They read the Bible and they, they know that there's something here. There's no, they know that there's truth in the scriptures. But they've never heard about the one God, faith, and his human Messiah. So the problem in that sense is really a question of exposure. They'd never heard of it. I never heard of it. Never, ever heard of it. I saw in the scriptures, hey, wait a second. Yahweh is one. He's one person. And Jesus is a real human person. I saw it in the scriptures. So then I started to think to myself, there has to be other people that believe this. But I think in our day and age now, with the internet and mass communication, the word is getting out. So more and more people will be confronted with this message. And I think there will be more and more people that will respond positively because they're going to see the biblicalness of this message. They're going to say, oh, yeah, you know what? That Trinity is not really described anywhere in the Bible. Why isn't it? You know, John 1.1 is our best evidence for the Trinity, but there's no Trinity in John 1.1. In many, many ways. I'm sure God will touch people's hearts with different scriptures. So part of the reason people don't believe this is they simply have never heard it. I had never heard it. I never heard it. So in that way, I don't know what my reaction would have been if I heard somebody say this. I I really don't know because I didn't have that experience. I know other people have. Some people's reaction, most people's reaction so far that I've had communication with, it's negative. They dig their heels in and say, no, you're denying Jesus. Actually, I believe they are denying Jesus. They are denying the human Jesus. They're saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. The Bible says that Jesus Christ is a human person. And by saying he must be God or a God-man, you're denying the human person Jesus. You're saying, we don't want this man to rule over us. So I really believe people that accuse me of denying Jesus, they're actually the ones that are denying the Messiah. But for many others, I'm sure they're going to hear this and they're going to be interested. So there is the question of simply exposure. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of Messiah. I'll say too that there's a stigma around the one God in a cult stigma. Because the people who do believe in the one God typically have other texts that they don't follow that's only the Bible. And so if you're listening to this, our scripture is the Bible, and we've all come from basically mainstream churches, which have kind of the mainstream beliefs on all the doctrines. And we just, from the texts, have seen it for ourselves that God is not a three-in-one being, there's no proof of that, that Jesus is not God, there's no proof of that, and that the Bible describes one man brought us into this mess of sin, and one man brought us out of this mess. And the, when you look at the model of Jesus being a human being, it makes sense. He doesn't, he doesn't have to be God. The Bible never says he has to be God. But I do think one thing that, because I, I definitely heard of this teaching before I really looked into it, it was cults believe the one God thing. 
cults don't believe, they deny the Trinity. There was always a stigma. It was always a, you know, we believe in the Trinity and the people that call themselves Christians who believe in this, that Jesus is not God, they are a cult. Which was great repellent from looking into this. Mm-hmm. Because I don't want to believe in this and then be a part of a cult. I want to believe what the Bible says. And I also don't want to be a part of the cult. But the point is, what does the Bible teach? But I just wanted to bring up the whole thing, that the stigma behind it. Because I know when I was presented this information that Jesus, he wasn't God. You know, he was a human being. He was the perfect man. It was presented by people who I trusted, knew the Bible, they respected the Bible, they held the word on high, they studied it daily, they taught me incredible things in it. And when they presented me with this information that the Trinity is not true, that it's not taught in the Bible, I began to look into it. So if maybe you're out there and you're thinking that only cults believe this, I'm telling you that's not true. Look into the Bible for yourself and see if you can find the Trinity. And that's a challenge. Yeah, I think actually Trinitarian Christianity is a lot closer to what's been labeled cults. But they also have this idea of a pre-existent being that becomes flesh somehow. So there's a lot more in common between Trinitarian Christianity and the cults than what I believe. And accusing somebody of being part of a cult it goes back to the fear factor. Put a stigma on it and to threaten somebody, to say, if you join that, you're part of a cult and you're going to be doomed to eternal torment, these kinds of things. It goes back to, from an authority kind of a perspective, saying, I'm telling you, that's a cult. Right? I'm telling you, if you believe that, you're condemned. I'm telling you, if you believe that, you're cut off from us. So there's a fear factor. Thank you very much. This is Bill Schlegel for the One God Report podcast. If you enjoy the podcast, please rate it and write a review on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. That will help others to find us and share the podcast on social media. For constructive discussion, you are welcome to join the One God Report Facebook group. Yishma'u anavim ve'yishma'u. The humble will hear and rejoice.